That's right, it's the Dr. Tommy Show. Glad you're here. Welcome. Welcome back. We are uh, broadcasting live from Echelon Health Studios in Tampa, Florida, where we are having a good day. Because today we're going to talk about some of the stuff that you can look forward to if you're part of the uh, MAGA movement and why it's not necessarily the end of the road for us. Also, I wanted to talk about some of the um, things having to go on with uh, COVID-19 and as far as myocarditis is concerned. And then also a little bit about Obamacare. First, though, I wanted to talk about uh, the election. The election is passed now. Uh, most of conservative media has been absorbed by this uh, elections. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going around and blaming, blaming this, that, and the other, most people. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about was what do you do going forward besides just saying uh it didn't turn out the way we wanted and what can we do in the what can we do for the future uh first thing is you have to decide though for yourself is do the elections matter anymore and uh rush limbaugh the uh late great rush limbaugh had a, a good point about this and he said that in the future it would be the democrats choice to to have no elections and the le- no elections would mean uh, basically, no election in the sense that you have to go out and win the hearts and minds of people. You have it set up in a certain way that no matter what happens, you're going to win. And I think you've seen a lot of that in this past election where you have a lot of mail-in voting. You lot of, you have a, you have a multiple days to count. You have all these different opportunities for interference. So it's unlike in Florida where you have one, uh, one day to, uh, to vote, to count the votes. You count the votes, and then you have a winner in that day. That's an anomaly now. That doesn't take place across all of the United States, at least not in these contested elections. So anywhere that you had a contested election that was tight in this past uh, in this past in this past cycle, I would say ninety five percent of the time the Democrat won. Uh, there's a few places here and there where you saw some Republicans that eked out a victory, but ninety five percent of the times it's the Democrats won. And you have to ask yourself, well, what what's going on? And so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start off by uh, saying the election that we had this past time was not a an up and up on the on the level election. And why do I say that? Well. I hate to go back to it because you're not supposed to, but 2020 election was not an up and on the on the level election. And uh, I'm just going to read this piece. This is from American Greatness from Dan Gellitner. He is a uh, computer scientist. He's actually uh, uh, he he's a Yale computer science professor, and he's writing for American Greatness here. He says this was an election. He says, uh, I'm a libertarian, which is to say I believe the government should stay out of my life as much as possible. But until recently, I was a conventional Republican. In fact, I spent a lot of my time as a neocon. How did I get to there from here? It was the 2020 election. He says, on 2020 election day, we went to bed with Trump as the obvious victor. He had to only win one of the several states still in play. We woke up with Trump as the likely loser. I had a feeling we'd been cheated. Of course, this was only a feeling, but I noticed it was shared by a surprising number of my people in, quote, deep blue Connecticut. Enthusiasm for Trump 2020 had run higher than for any presidential candidate that people could remember. So I remember this. You know, we you all remember this. Go driving around Trump flags everywhere, even in these places where you wouldn't expect it, like Connecticut. I wasn't there, but this 
he says that it was happening there. It was enthusiasm was over the board. There were Trump parades and all this. And all at the same time, what did you do? He had Biden hiding out in the basement. Biden uh, at that time was able to complete a sentence, uh, but still uh, only reading off teleprompters and uh, doing softball interviews. And that was it. That was the election uh, campaign for him. He goes, I had a feeling we'd been cheated. Of course, it was only a feeling. I noticed it was shared by a surprising number of people in deep blue Connecticut. Uh, he says that the enthusiasm for Trump had been higher than for any election before. It had been higher than that been for Obama the first time. And, and, and it was was it all just a mirage? And so he says um, he was a he's a software developer. So this is what he found out. He goes, I got a call from a voter integrity nonprofit who had been in the business before I considered voter fraud a serious problem. They asked me to put together an emergency team to analyze the 2020 election results. So here's a computer guy. OK, this election uh, integrity group says, come tell us what, what tell us what's going on with these results. Granted, this is 2020. OK, this was two years ago. My team focused on statistical analysis, studies of the very unlikely, trying to find explanations for why certain late reporting precincts were three standard deviations from their neighbors, think a one in 10,000 shot in areas like ballot splitting. So he's saying that in these hotly contested districts, they had these late reporting precincts, which we're always waiting for because it's, it's down to like 2,000 votes now or 10,000 votes. And the ballot splitting, so that's when you vote for one party on the head of the ballot, and then you vote for other parties at the end of the ballot. So, or for instance, if you vote for one person, but you don't vote for other people. So, for instance, uh, in an in in election where you say the, the senator, say you're, you're voting for a senator, uh, you may not vote for the president, but you vote for the senator. That's another form of ballot splitting. So you're not voting for the head of the, the, the top of the ticket, but you're voting for uh, later on down the ticket. It doesn't make sense that you would do that. Why would you go to vote just for uh, the bottom of the ticket, but not vote for the president? Or if you vote for the president of one party and then you vote for another party. So he said one in a thousand shots of uh, having this type of ballot splitting in these precincts that is different than the others. So three standard deviations different from the norm. And so three standard deviations is basically very statistically improbable if it's going to happen, uh, if it's going to happen uh, without uh, interference. Two standard deviations is considered 95% of normal. We found state databases where votes had already been counted were subsequently deleted or where thousands of mail-in ballots were received back by the government before they were even mailed out. And this was in Pennsylvania, he said. He said other parts of this nonprofit were doing on-the-ground detective work. The confessions of Dropbox stuffers in Georgia led us to track and identify hundreds of individual ballot carriers as well as the organizations that paid them to drive all over the state, delivering the fraudulent votes that changed the outcome. In Arizona, the most corrupt state in the nation, where drop boxes are unnecessary because it's legal for one voter to deliver up to 10 ballots. We had video footage of Democrat Party poll workers paying voters to take stacks of 10 ballots and vote them. That video footage led to indictments, but only of the people actually caught on film. The people paying for and organizing the fraud remain at liberty. We know who they are. The FBI knows too, but it's hard to tell if they're listening. And it goes on. And he says, you know, he used to be, uh, think of these people that were talking like this as tinfoil hat conspiracy people, but he says, now I'm the one wearing a tinfoil hat. And it closes off by saying, uh, 
but this is all up to you now. I can't pretend that Pennsylvania actually preferred a severely disabled stroke victim to a Trump endorsed candidate. I can't that I can't pretend that while incumbent presidents lose seats in the midterms, Biden is so much more popular than Obama that he had a that he escaped a similar slacking. I can't pretend that abortion was a bigger issue for young voters than taxes, lost jobs, inflation, and war. I can't pretend this election wasn't stolen, but you can. So he's saying that Biden did not get a shellacking like presidents always do in the midterms. So you have to look at this in the past 10 years, let's say. So we're in 2010, 2022. So 10 years ago is 2012. Obama was running for his second term in office. At that time, Obama had experienced the midterm shellacking, which he's talking about in 2010. In that period of time from then to now, we've eliminated that or the Democrats or the, the, the machine has eliminated that. So where there is no shellacking anymore for the party in, 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 uh, in power, it usually happens that the party that is the out party wins uh, on election, the, the midterm elections. But this time it didn't happen. And then you can say, well, it's because of the uh, abortion or whatever the case is. But uh reality is is that they've changed elections now to where they don't have to win elections in the traditional sense there's enough of the machine in place through these different ways to get ballots to the to the uh, voter to the elections office there's different ways to to get voters out to the ballot or out to vote because they have these weeks long elections there's all these different things that have made it to where elections are not what they used to be and that has made it to where you're looking at a steep uphill battle if you're not willing to look at that. But if you look at that now, you're called an election denier. And an election denier is on par with a climate denier and on par with a science denier. In the turn, in the eyes of the media, in the eyes of the establishment, you are someone who is putting forth unproven uh, idea, ideas. You're 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 uh, you're peddling conspiracy theories. You're doing things that are, are just vulgar and uh, lowbrow. And and if you if you even think about that, then then you're in that category. You're a science denier. Like I said, if you if you believe that covid vaccines don't work, well, turns out two years later, everybody knows they don't work. Uh, you're if you if you're if you're a climate denier, you think that Unless you drive an electric vehicle, you're going to contribute to the collapse of the world. Well, now we know, or most people, not most people, but a lot of people know now that actually driving an electric car probably has more of an impact on the environment than driving a, a gas-powered car due to the cost of raw materials to build the electric car, the limited lifespan of the electric car, not to mention that the electric car runs off of fossil fuels for the most part uh, through uh, power plants that are run by coal. But, uh, you know, all of this stuff about elections is, like I said, it, it's it's tied into this whole effort to make it to where uh, elections are not what they used to be. And no one said it better than Rush back in the day uh, on his program talking about why the Democrats want to eliminate elections and what's the impetus or what's the reasoning behind it. Mr. Snurdly, a program observer, uh, just said to me over the IFB. He said, I got to admit something. When I first heard you say that the left and Democrats ultimately want to do away with elections, I thought you were going insane. I thought you were mad. I thought that all of this had finally gotten to you. Well, that has to be some years ago now when I first advanced the, the, the theory. But now you see, you, you say you can see it. 
it they're doing it in front of our faces. They really are. They are attempting to win elections without broad public support. That's what they're trying to do. That's just another way of phrasing what they're doing. How do you win elections without broad public support? You have to cheat. You have to game the system. Most people who consider themselves Americans and uh, practitioners of small d democracy believe in the sanctity of elections. They believe in the sanctity of campaigning and convincing a majority of Americans to support them. That's where you get your mandate. That's where you get the power to implement your ideas. And the more people voting for you, the more power you have, the bigger mandate you got. These people resent having to get a mandate. Why should they have to get public approval? Screw these idiots. You, screw you. Why should you have to give them approval? Why should you have a say-so in whether they can do what they want to do or not? That's who these people are. And they're so ticked off, they're burning down your town. They're burning down your city. They resent the hell out of having to please you. They resent the hell needing your support. They hate it. They're not interested in your support. They're not interested in what you think. They're not interested in your point of view. They don't care to have to find out who you are and how to persuade you. And they resent the hell out of the fact they have to do it. And I'm just telling you, the sooner they can figure out how they can get what they want without elections, and the only way they can do it is violence, intimidation, or cheating, they will do it. So basically, that's what we're dealing with now, I think. Except in Florida. Except in Florida. We passed some stuff in Florida that makes it to where this type of chicanery is not allowed. Actually, if you look at it, DeSantis won Florida, I think it was by tens of thousands. It wasn't that many votes in the grand schemes of things uh, when he beat... um, when he beat uh what's his name the guy who likes uh to smoke crack with the male strippers i can't remember his name anyway so when desantis beat him it wasn't by a lot uh and i remember during that too they were finding ballots just like they do now just like they do now yo we found a hundred thousand ballots and look at them. They're all, they're all marked for the Democrat. That happens now. I mean, if you look at it now, you have to look, I mean, you're not going to, it's not going to be reported on MSNBC. Obviously it's not going to be reported on CNN, but you have, you, it happens. You have to look for it, but it happens. They find these ballots. They, they, they find, and they found them. And I remember this, uh, when uh, the last election, when the DeSantis was running, they found some ballots in a, I think it was in a, in a car in an airport. In Jacksonville, maybe maybe that's what I'm remembering. And you know who found them? It just so happened the person who found them was some citizen who was friends with the local Democrat elections official. And what's the odds of that? But there they were, just being a good Samaritan. Look, I found these ballots in the trunk of this car. And uh, hey, they're all marked for the Democratness, basically. And so that's what they tried, and they didn't. They didn't win. If they had won, they, this we might be. Well, I mean, be sitting here right now, actually. <laughs> um, it, but if they had won, it would have been a whole different story. It would have been a whole different ball game. DeSantis would never have taken the uh, taken the reins as Florida governor. But what they did after that is they instituted some uh, election laws changes. So they there were some changes done uh, the local level that made it harder for people to cheat. And one of the things he did do too was he uh, fired 
actually he fired one and the other one retired early Two, uh, what he, what he thought were, uh, people who weren't doing their job, uh, honestly, uh, elections supervisors. And I believe they were in Broward County and Miami Dade, but don't quote me on that. Anyway, one of them, I believe quit. And one of them was outright fired. And so this is what you have to have done, but this is, there's another article in here I have. It says, you know, elections aren't, uh, elections aren't stolen national elections are stolen locally. And, uh, that's what, that's what's happened across the United States is except in Florida, you know, this, this big red wave that they were talking about, it only transpired in Florida and Florida is the only one that happened to, uh, be, as far as I know, these swing States, quote unquote, implemented any significant voter, uh, voter integrity laws, let's call it. Um, so it's, it's something that you have to think about from the standpoint of, are you willing to be an election denier? And if so, are you willing to uh, take the criticism that comes along with being an election denier and saying, Hey, there's something that's not right. Cause if you're not, don't ever complain about losing another election. If you're a, if you're a Republican, don't complain about it because you're not going to win anymore. You're not going to win anymore. You're certainly not going to win a presidential election. There's not a chance in hell that if there's 10 day or seven day or whatever voting process in Arizona, in Nevada, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, and they're counting ballots and they're always finding ballots. And this precinct came in. And what do you know that came in really a lot for the Democrat and, and not a lot for the Republican? Don't ever expect to win the election again on the uh, the president that's for sure in your own local elections too but don't ever expect it because it's not going to happen so you have to be a, a willing to be in a denier you have to be willing to be uh uh criticized and that's the whole tar that's the whole reason for calling people deniers is to make them uh scared because what are you if you're a denier right what's the first thing that people think of if you're a denier you're a holocaust denier that's what the word comes from, denier, Holocaust denier. No one wants to be a Holocaust denier outside of Louis Farrakhan. Uh, you know, so the Holocaust denier label is now misappropriated and saying now if you question uh, a vaccine, you're a vaccine denier or a science denier. Or if you question whether or not uh, there is uh, integrity in the voting laws in your local state, or county, then you're an election denier and so forth and so on. The climate deniers the same thing. So basically, you're going to have to be willing to take uh, some criticism. And I tell you who's not going to be willing to take criticism. That is the Republican establishment. Uh, McConnell, Mitch McConnell's going to be uh, probably going to be the new uh, majority, minority leader again, reelected. Andy, Mc, uh, uh, Andy McCarthy, uh, Kevin McCarthy is going to be the uh, major minority leader again in the House of Representatives. Actually, he's going to be majority leader. House Speaker. No, take it back. He's a Speaker of the House, most likely going to get elected because the, the Republicans are actually going to eke out a victory in, in the in the House and probably take control. Although Nancy says that, you know, maybe not because we have some uh, special ways we're going to vote in the or count the votes in these districts. And we, th we think we still may be able to pull it off. See, Nancy. People like Nancy and, and and her her crew, I give them one thing: is they don't have any quit in them. They don't have the quit in them that the. It. Let's put it this way: if the Republicans were winning elections the way Democrats win elections now, they would be burning down the country literally and figuratively. 
I guarantee you they would not stand by and allow 10 days of voting and their their candidates lead to be whittled down, whittled down, whittled down until suddenly the, uh, the Republican won. It would never happen. Not in a million years because Nancy and her people, they know how to fight and they don't they don't just lay down. Another thing about Democrats that makes them better than the Republicans, at least in, in the way that they're willing to do things, is if Democrats lose an election. They don't ever go back and say, what did we do wrong? They say, we're going to double down on what we did. And we're going to even go farther with what we sh- what we were trying to do. We're going to go press harder. And you couple that with the ability to uh, have these election laws in their favor, drop boxes, people dropping off ballots 10 at a time. Here's from my whole church congregation. I'm, I'm going to bring the va- ballots for them. All of these loose uh, ways that you can vote. Multiple days, weeks of voting, couple that with the uh, willing for the, willingness for them to just push the envelope with their agenda. That's why they're effective. That's why they're effective at doing what they do. It, it just so happens what they happen to do, what, they're, what, they're, <laughs> what, what they have been playing is not good. But anyway, they, at least they're effective. But what we in, in, you know, in Florida, I'm sorry, in the nation, in the GOP, we need something that we have in Florida. We need to have someone like a DeSantis or somebody who's going to be in charge and actually move things um, towards the uh, liberty goalpost rather than uh, the tyranny goalpost. Yeah, this is an article from American Greatness. It says the GOP needs a Florida takeover. Republican leadership in the House, Senate, and the RNC believe they can coast to an electoral victory by default. Mitch McConnell explicitly refused to offer up any sort of platform. Kevin McCarthy held a press conference with a few vague talking points like a future built on freedom, but good luck finding any average American aware of it. Meanwhile, Rona, uh, Rona Rana McDaniel has done nothing over two election cycles to inspire the confidence of any Republican faction. And then it talks about uh, how Trump is also to blame. It says Trump did, deserves blame here as well. His Save America PAC received over $100 million, but spent less than $15 million on his endorsed candidates in key races. At a time when the Republican Party desperately needs a leader that reflects its base, Trump allowed McConnell and McCarthy to fill the role that had, the, base had elect him, the base had elected him to take. That's why DeSantis is resonating with so many Republicans, including both critics and supporters of Trump's 2016 message. DeSantis did what national leadership failed to do. He provided a clear vision for Florida, executed that vision, and elevated candidates down the ballot, securing a supermajority at the state level, and he won bigly. That's what we need. But McConnell and McCarthy and McDaniel... They're entrenched. They're going to stay there. And all three of those people do not want to talk about elections. They do not want to talk about. And I don't think you should dwell on elections. I I don't think, you know, I think this is where Trump gets lost, uh, loses some of his steam. Is he wants to go on and on and on about the 2020 election. But only in terms of uh, remonstrating about it, complaining what he should say is, look, the 2020 election happened. There was uh, some fishy results. And these are some of the things that we should do to change it. And now and three things, you know, have three points, have some broad, broad overview of what what you should do. And then people will understand that and people can latch on to that because, you know, most people, the average uh, voter out there, at least Republican voters know things do not look like they're on the up and up. You cannot force me to believe that. Joe Biden is the most popular president by votes in American history. 
You cannot force me. I don't care if you waterboarded me. Uh, you could not get me to admit that Joe Biden won millions and millions and millions more votes than Barack Obama. It just didn't happen. And you could say, well, people hated Trump and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. That is not how it happened. That is not legitimate. There was that not that many people out there voting and sending in ballots or voting in person for Biden. Now, I'm not saying there weren't that many votes for him. I'm just saying the way that they got there was not on the up and up. And you cannot force me to believe that. I don't care what you do. Because Joe Biden cannot, at this day and age, and back then he was a little bit better, but even then he wasn't great, give any coherent answers, give any coherent speech, even off of a teleprompter. He did not campaign. He did not, um, uh, I mean... For God's sakes, the guy told the guy told uh, uh, people, you know, if you don't if you're black and you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. I mean, he's all these things. And then you cannot force me to believe that he got that many more votes than Obama. But Trump is going to announce tonight, probably that he's uh, he's running for president. And that's his right. He's running for president, most likely. And he's going to announce it tonight in Mar-a-Lago at nine o'clock. I think that the uh, the 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 shine has uh, worn off of his star, though, and it's his fault mostly, and it's mostly because of the way he's conducted himself. I think around the time of this election, and mostly it's these unprovoked, stupid attacks on successful Republicans, namely uh, Ron DeSantis, who he calls Ron DeSanctimonious. And for some reason, Craig Youngton, who he endorsed and who actually won in Virginia, uh, he says he has a Chinese sounding name. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so Trump's going to announce tonight and we'll see. Uh, they say that he's, he's he, you know, he, he says that he's, he's beaten all these guys in the polls. I don't think he's going to win the nomination, to tell you the truth. I think that he's done enough recently to make it seem like he has lost his edge he's not focused he's focused more on promoting himself at the detriment of the party and people for what they may may love trump and they may want trump to be successful and they may want to be successful too but at the end of the day if you have a guy like trump who's willing to attack the most successful elected politician currently in the united states who's a republican which is ron DeSantis. By, by his, I think, by his political uh, political wins and by his, by the uh, the fact that he won by a million votes over the Democrat here in Florida. If you're willing to go out there and just attack DeSantis for no other reason than I guess he did not uh, stand stand aside like Trump wanted him to, and, and say, "Look, I'm not running." They say DeSantis hasn't even said he's going to run yet, and that's the craziest thing. So. DeSantis's sin was he said that, you know, I'm going to run for the, 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 you know, I'm going to run for governor. And that's my, my, my job now is to be the governor of Florida. That's what Ron DeSantis said, essentially. And because when he was asked if he was going to run for president, he said, look, I'm going to run for the governor of Florida. I want to be the governor of Florida. That wasn't enough for Trump. So it wasn't like he came out and said, after I win in Florida, I'm going to then I'm going to immediately start running for president and I'm going to kick Trump to the side. And I don't Trump doesn't, you know, deserve anything for my success. That's not what he said. 
All he said was, I want to be the governor of Florida and I want to run for a governor and I want to be the governor of Florida. And Trump just, it wasn't enough for him because Trump says, look, DeSantis deserves, I'm sorry, DeSantis owes me. And the way he owes me is he needs to step aside and allow me to saunter into the coronation of the, uh, of the uh, nomination for president in 2024. And, you know, he may have a point if he was the president, but he's not the president. And he didn't win in 2020. He may he may have a point, and I think he has a point that the election was fraudulent. I think it is. I think Biden is a fraudulent president. I think if if you were to ask God, did Joe Biden win the presidency uh, on the up and up, he would say no. And I think in history will bear it out that he didn't. But anyway, the point of it is is that. Whatever the case is, that Trump's not the president. So he's not owed that. He can't just walk into 2024 and say, hand it over. I'm the guy. There's a lot of reasons why. Uh, one is that as, as great as Trump was as a president, he had a lot of failings as a president. Uh, I think the biggest failing Trump had was his personnel choices. I mean, go down the line of the people who were put in place. And, and a lot of this is not Trump's fault. Trump's a complete outsider when he came to Washington. So I'm not blaming him, but I'm just saying, if you were to say, was the Trump presidency a complete utter success? No. Now, am I also going to say that Trump's uh, presidency, he had more challenges than any president I've ever heard. I've ever seen as far as attacks. Yes, absolutely. Was he sabotaged by uh, Obama, by the Russia investigation? Absolutely. Was he sabotaged by his own party, Paul Ryan and uh, Mitch McConnell, who failed to advance any type of uh, true blue conservative uh, agenda while they were uh, in charge and Trump was the president? We forget this. When Trump was president, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan for two years were in majorities in both the House and the Senate, and they could have passed anything they wanted, and they couldn't even get Obamacare uh, removed. And uh, so that, that that's how bad it was. Obamacare was is still an, a very unpopular thing. People are forgetting about it now because they just accepted it. But Obamacare has made things where you know healthcare is so unaffordable now. You know, it's the ultimate Orwellian name is the Affordable Care Act. It's the Unaffordable Care Act. Health insurance has never been more expensive than it is now. And we're going to get into that later. But anyway, so Trump had a lot of things that he didn't do right. Uh, so he can't just expect to walk into the, the, the to the nomination 2024. But I think that's what he wants. He's going to face uh, he's going to face a primary in, and uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think I think. Uh, I think that uh, that uh, DeSantis will end up running, and I think he I think he probably didn't make his mind up to run until uh, until recently. At least I I didn't make up my mind that he would run until recently because I thought he would be happy to be governor, and uh, I would be happy for him to be governor. But I think now he sees it as a, almost like a duty or calling that he has to run because I don't think Trump. I mean, God God knows I I wish he would. I wish he could repeat what he did in 2016, but I honestly don't think that Trump could beat anybody uh, in in 20, 2024 that the, the Democrats put forward. And they're most likely going to put forward our uh, walking dead president, Joe Biden. That's honestly who's going to be probably the nominee uh, for the Democrats is Joe Biden. 
And I don't think Trump can beat him. And I don't, I don't, and, and that's not a bash against Trump. I don't think any Republican can necessarily win the presidency in 2024. And I think the Democrats know that. And that's why they're so, um, you know, uh, they don't really worry about campaigning. Uh, Carrie Lake uh, challenged Katie Hobbs to camp to debates. Katie Hobbs said, no, I'm not going to debate. I'm not going to debate. And who won? Katie Hobbs. Uh, John Fetterman, uh, after his stroke, did not want to debate. He ended up debating. Dr. Oz looked miserable because of the stroke. And we don't know what he was like beforehand, but after the stroke, he definitely was unintelligible. Still is. He won. So it doesn't matter, really. And I think the Democrats know that. The Democrats know in these certain states and these certain districts, they have it baked in that they're going to win these elections. So honestly, I don't know how you win an election as a Republican president in 2024 if the laws aren't changed. It doesn't look like they're going to change. It's going to be mail-in voting. It's going to be multiple days of voting. It's going to be ballot drop boxes. It's going to be dropping off multiple boxes. It's going to be mules. It's going to be dead people voting. It's going to be nursing homes full of people who haven't written anything in years because they have medical problems, all of them voting. And so I don't know how you can win if you're a Republican. Honestly, I don't. But Trump tonight, he's going to announce, and uh, Victor Davis Hanson has this piece in American Greatness called Tragically Trump. And it's talking about Trump. He goes, by even 2022, even hardcore conservatives thought Trump was expendable. His liabilities growing larger than his assets, his future potential deemed less than his past achievements. His don't tread on me pushbacks to the left overshadowed by his cul-de-sac and gratuitous spats with irrelevancies. And his former remarkable perseverance in the face of historic and unjust attacks overshadowed by his current preemptive squabbles. So will Trump rest on his considerable laurels and ride out gracefully to Mar-a-Lago? And there as a kingmaker slash elder statesman, will he work to institutionalize his MAGA agenda while raising money for any presidential candidate who embraces it? Or will a subdued candidate Trump now pivot, grow quieter, and let the people vote in the primaries to decide whether they want him anymore? And whether DeSantis sinks sinks as a 2016 Scott Walker on the national stage, a similarly talented and successful governor, or assumes the mythical status of a Ronald Reagan? Or will an unapologetic Trump now escalate his slurs, bray at the moon, play out his current angry Ajax role to the bitter end, and thus end up a tragic hero, appreciated for his past service, but deemed too toxic for present company? And... Uh, I know what I think, so we'll see what happens. So I was talking about this thing about catastrophic. So this is the, I was trying to look for health insurance the other day. And as you remember, like I said, Paul Ryan, the only thing that they achieved when Trump was president was they had a tax plan that went through, a tax cut plan. And part of the tax cut plan was the elimination of the the individual mandate fee, not the individual mandate. The individual mandate is still there. The fee or the, 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 the taxes it's called by, uh, um, it was actually, it's called the mandate penalty, right? The individual mandate penalty. So the penalty was if you did not buy this insurance that Obamacare stipulates, you must buy, you'll be fined. Most people didn't buy that insurance because it was too goddamn expensive 
and they couldn't afford it. So what did the government say? Well, we're going to fine your ass now because you can't afford it. So that was the that was the individual mandate. And that was the only thing that Paul Ryan, along with that tax cut plan, did successfully during his two years as speaker. So the individual mandate fee penalty went to zero. So effectively, there is not an individual mandate from a penalty standpoint as far as paying, but there is still an individual mandate. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, it was John Roberts who rescued this individual mandate penalty from uh, unconstitutionalism by therefore declaring it a tax and therefore making it constitutional. So we have John Roberts to thank for the individual mandate still being here. We also have John McCain to thank because one of his last things he did before he died was he voted to not to repeal Obamacare. It was this deciding vote in the Senate. Uh, and so anyway, we still have the individual mandate on the books. So what does the individual mandate mean? There's an individual mandate that says you have to buy certain level of insurance. Otherwise you cannot, uh, buy insurance. So I went on the, you have to, you have to buy the, it's got to cover various different things. And I had printed out something about, about, I I didn't, I don't remember where it is. Anyway, it's all of this other stuff that you don't need. So basically they're saying the government's saying, The individual mandate is there to make sure you buy this insurance. And this insurance has to include coverage for doctor visits. It's got to include coverage for prescriptions. It's got to include coverage for uh, therapy, mental health therapy, all all these different things. There's there's a whole laundry list of things it's got to cover. And it's got to cover that because it's in your best interest. Because you as a person are too stupid to be able to either pay for this on your own or you're too stupid to, uh, uh, if you don't buy it, um, you can't pay for it on your own, meaning that you can't do it without insurance. No one can see a doctor without insurance or buy prescriptions without insurance or go to mental health counseling without insurance, they say. And and if you and if you don't, uh, if you don't pay for this insurance plan, then you're not going to be able to do it because you can't because you can't afford to do it. And you're going to buy an insurance plan if we let you that doesn't include this stuff. And then you're not going to be able to do these things. So now you have to buy this. You have to buy this plan. So I, anyway, if you want to buy a plan, though, there's actually plans out there to call catastrophic health insurance plans. And they used to be called another word for them is indemnity plans. So basically, this is what most people in our practice want. OK, here it is. I don't want to pay for. I don't want the insurance plan to pay for my doctor visits. I don't want the insurance plan to pay for my medications. I don't want the insurance plan to pay for anything unless I get hospitalized or get some kind of illness that is very expensive. Bottom line, that's catastrophic health insurance. Go ahead and try to buy it, though. You cannot buy it to this day unless unless you are less than 30 years old or you qualify for a hardship exemption. This is from healthcare.gov. And this is another uh, uh, kind of Orwellian thing where they say you can buy it on the marketplace. They call it the marketplace, which is a stupid ass thing to call it because it's a government issued, government controlled uh, website. So it's the opposite of a marketplace, of course, is Orwellian. And it goes here. Who can buy a catastrophic plan? This is from healthcare.gov. People under 30. People age 30 or older with a hardship exemption or affordability exemption. And then it says here that, uh, you know, these plans have to cover, you know, these plans 
this, so this is the way you can buy a catastrophic plan outside of uh if you if you qualify if you're under 30 or you have a hardship exemption and basically the hardship exemptions are financial exemptions uh financial hardship exemptions or some other uh, there's a few other things but anyway the point of it is is still we cannot buy insurance that you want. You can't buy insurance that you need. There's so many people that are spending thousands of dollars on insurance now, and all they want is the catastrophic component. All they want is that. And actually, they have. that's basically what they have, is they have catastrophic insurance because their deductible is so high that they end up paying for doctor's visit. They end up paying for medications. They end up paying for all this stuff, even though it says you have that as a benefit. This is all a handout to the government to the insurance companies. All this is, this is a way that the government and insurance companies have colluded in order to say, "Hey, can you make it a mandate where my most expensive product is now forced upon people to buy?" And the government, of course, says, "Yes." How much will you pay me? And the insurance company says, "We'll pay you this much to do it. We'll donate this much, and voila, here you go." That's one thing I wish that if we if we did have ever another president a republican president and a congress that's republican that i would like to see go away is the damn individual mandate so people could actually buy insurance that is to their liking this is something from daily wire it's about myocarditis risk from covid19 vaccines listen to this myocarditis cases levels myocarditis Cases hit levels two to three times higher in people with a second dose of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine than the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine research shows. American College of Cardiology released a study last week that showed that males and females between 18 and 39 with the Moderna vaccine had higher rates of pericarditis and myocarditis. However, males aged 18 to 29 had the highest rates after receiving the second dose of Moderna. It says... Within 21 days of the second dose, there were a total of 59 myocarditis cases, 21 after Pfizer and 31 after Moderna, and there were a total of 41 pericarditis cases, 21 after Pfizer and 20 after Moderna. So after the second dose, so they got the first dose and then the second dose. I don't know why they didn't include the first dose. I'm sure people had it after the first dose, too. It says, within 21 days of the second dose, there were 59 myocarditis cases, 21 in Pfizer and 31 in Moderna. So myocarditis is inflammation of the actual heart. And there were a total of 41 pericarditis cases. So pericarditis is inflammation of the sac that surrounds the heart. 21 after Pfizer and 20 after Moderna. Researchers also looked at rates per million doses, and the rate was 35.6 cases per million for Moderna and 12.6 per million for Pfizer, an almost threefold increase after Moderna shots versus Pfizer. All right, now that's 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 if you got a, 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 a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. Comparatively, rates of myocarditis in the general population in 2018 were 2.0 per million, 2.1, sorry, 2.01 per million. So basically two per million in people under the age of 40 and 2.2 million in people over the age of 40. So basically it's very, very low likelihood, but look at that. So the general population rate of myocarditis is 2.01 per million in people under 40 and 2.2 million per million in people over 40, myocarditis. 
But if you get these shots, your rates go up higher. And people say, well, that's that's uh, that's not very, you know, still 12.6 out of a million. I'm willing to take that chance because why? Because the vaccine's going to prevent me from dying, they say. That's what they say basically now is the vaccine will prevent you from dying. And if you don't get the vaccine, then, then you're going to die. And even even this is another thing that Trump has screwed up on is Trump is going all in on the vaccines. He doesn't say it, but if you ask him, he'll still repeat the line that the vaccines are what's saving people's lives. And that's not the truth. Um, look. We don't know what's going on with these vaccines. Honestly, there's a lot of stuff going on with vaccines that I don't know if we'll ever see the light of day. Just because it's the same reason that you'll never see the light of day of a lot of research having to do with climate change. The people who pay for climate change uh, research are interested in seeing research that uh, reinforces the idea that there is man-made climate change. Okay. The NIH is a is a big funder of research in the United States. People in the NIH are not interested in funding research that's going to show that vaccines contribute uh, anything other than good things toward people. People in the NIH are not interested in, in uh, research that's going to show that vaccines are harmful, at least at this point in time. So who knows if we ever will. But that's just... Uh, you know, the thing about myocarditis, too, is I was going to do this earlier, but I didn't. When you read about myocarditis, they always say, well, the risk outweigh the benefits. The risk. And that's a judgment. That's a judgment thing. But this always appears in journal articles that are scientific. Any vaccine article that says anything about myocarditis has to have in the bat in the end. But. The risk outweigh the benefits, but this reinforces the idea that vaccines are good for you because the risk outweigh the benefits. They always have to say that, and you will never find an article that is uh, published in one of these journals that does not say that if it talks about vaccines and myocarditis or pericarditis. They say the risk outweigh the benefits. According to who, though? I mean, there's no object. There's no objective way to say that this risk outweighs it. It's different between different people. You may say, look, it's not worth it to me for 12.6 people per million. I might be one of those 12.6. I don't want myocarditis. I don't want to get a shot. It may be worth it for you, though, if you're very scared of getting uh, COVID or if you think the COVID vaccine is going to save your life. So-called COVID vaccine is going to save your life. It is clear that the COVID vaccine is not going to stop the pandemic. That's the that's what they were pushing the whole time. That's how they got, and that's the whole thing about this big COVID lie. Is that what they? That's what they lied to people about, and that's how they got people pressured into it, and that's how they pressured people to pressure their friends and their family and everybody else. So say, we could only get back if we could if we could only get everyone vaccinated, we can get back to normal. We can we could take the mask off. We could we could go to the grocery store. You can go see your grandmother. We can have Thanksgiving. If only these bastards that aren't getting the vaccine would get it, then suddenly we'd be able to because we're going to stop COVID, which was a damn lie was a damn lie. Uh, This is from Peter McCullough. He's the uh, cardiologist that has recently been defrocked of his uh, board certifications, I believe. I think they were talking about doing, I think they actually did it. So Peter McCullough is a cardiologist, eminent, preeminent cardiologist. 
who happens to be a COVID vaccine uh, skeptic. You know, he's a denier. He's a science denier. And so Peter McCullough, the, uh, uh, he's a board-certified cardiologist and board-certified internist, is actually, it looks like he may lose his uh, uh, certifications if he hasn't already. People get the idea, though, that that means that he's going to be losing his license. That's not the case. Board certification is a private company, in the case of McCullough, the American Board of Internal Medicine, saying that this person is certified. That's all it is. I mean, that's technically what it is. That's all it is. You have to do a bunch of stuff. And I've quit doing board certification years ago because it was just so much bullshit. I mean, just not worth my time. I don't need it for my job. You know, most people get board certified because they want to be board certified. They don't want people to say, oh, he's not board certified. There must be something wrong with him. He must be stupid. Actually, the reason I didn't get board certified is just too much work and not work in a good sense. It was too much just busy work. Basically, I don't have time to be doing that. I have a business to run. I have patients to see. I don't have time to do modules and they wanted to. And, and a lot of <laughs> the thing about this is what it's hard for me to even remember, but the more you're tied into insurance medicine, the more you're part of this ecosystem of insurance and you, so suddenly, you know, there's this whole whole different world of insurance-based medicine is a completely different world for the physician than what I do. It was a medicine, medicine. I just, medicine's me, is my patients and me. That's it. That's it. Insurance medicine is a whole different animal. Insurance medicine means you have to have, uh, you have to have your uh, click boxes. You have to have your uh, meaningful use. They used to call. It. I don't even know what they call it now. You have to have your electronic record has to. Uh, you have to have appropriate number of click boxes to show that your statistics are good, to show that the insurers that you're doing a good job and to show the government and blah, 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 back and forth. And so anytime you get board certified, that's for those people. That's their world. Board certification is not really about learning, really about um, showing that you have knowledge. That's some of it, but most of it's about just being part of that ecosystem. Are you compliant with the ecosystem? You know, and so uh, I, I've quit doing it. But anyway, Peter McCullough, they they threatened to strip him, and they may have stripped him of his board certifications by now. I'm probably they probably have because he's a he's a science denier. Anyway, he's a preeminent cardiologist, and he wrote in a Substack here, uh, causal pathway to sudden unexplained adult death. COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis. Uh, It says, nearly every day there is a report of a young, fit individual, usually a man, who suffers unexplained sudden death, now termed, quote, sudden adult death syndrome. Because COVID-19 vaccination is highly prevalent and linked to the development of heart inflammation and myocarditis, it is a conservative and reasonable conclusion that unless otherwise ruled out, sudden adult death syndrome is a consequence of myocarditis. So what he's saying is that you get myocarditis. Let's say you get myocarditis from these vaccines. You're one of these 12.6 in that report. You may have myocarditis and you can know it or not know it. Uh, if you know it, it's acute myocarditis. If you don't know it, it's, it's basically it's, it's subclinical. So you don't know it, but you still have it. You still have the inflammation. Back to the article. The differential diagnosis could include other vaccine-related serious adverse events, including fatal pulmonary embolism, multi-system inflammatory disorder, and vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpura. 
Unlike sudden death, most of these other conditions give patients and doctors a chance at making a diagnosis, hospitalization, and treatment. Because half or more of COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis is asymptomatic, the first manifestation can be due to collapse. The first manifestation can be collapse due to an abnormal heart rhythm, and unless promptly resuscitated, the pathway to death is rapid and final. So you can have myocarditis and then get an abnormal heart rhythm. Most people don't understand how. I guess you take it for granted uh, that the heart is so resilient. And it is. It's extremely resilient. I mean, look at some of the ways that people abuse their bodies, you know, through their diet and their exercise or lack thereof and smoking and everything else, doing drugs. And then the, the heart just keeps going. Boom, boom. Day after day, hour after hour, second after second, just keeps beating away because the heart's very, but the heart is actually, you can, you can, uh, you can, if you have an abnormal rhythm in your heart, you can be dead instantly or not instantly, but seconds, you know, an abnormal rhythm happens. Your heart beat is no longer functioning. Blood does not go to your brain. Very shortly, it's ball game. So your heartbeat goes into abnormal rhythm. There's no uh, productive pumping of blood. So your blood, your heart has to beat, you know, it has to beat well in order to get the blood circulating to your brain, to circulate to your body, to keep your organs perfused, but mostly your brain in, in the terms of survival. And if you cut that off, uh, it doesn't take long for your brain to lose oxygen and then it takes doesn't take long then for your brain to not send signals to the rest of your body. And before you know it, you're dead. So it's not hard to do it from an electrical standpoint. And that's what happens when you have an arrhythmia is there's an electrical disturbance. And this article, uh, I don't know if it talks about it, but there's certain things that can happen to your heart with myocarditis that you can only see on MRI. And you can see it up. You can see the abnormalities in the tissue. And I saw this other substack by uh, Dr. McCullough where he talked about how these areas of scar can be the beginning of where an arrhythmia takes place. And that's kind of the uh, hypothesis for how you can die from a vaccine-induced myocarditis potentially. That's used to be what science was about, hypothesis, testing hypothesis, arguing about hypothesis. If you said that right now on uh, YouTube, you would be banned, okay? You can say it on Twitter now, I think, maybe, because of uh, Elon Musk. But if you said that on YouTube, you'd be banned. <clears throat> if you said these words, uh, vaccines can produce myocarditis, COVID vaccines, quote-unquote vaccines, because they're really... They don't vaccinate. They don't prevent infection, but whatever. It's called vaccines. COVID vaccines can cause myocarditis, which can be subclinical, which you do not know about. That myocarditis can cause a scar in your heart. That scar can generate electrical activity that is abnormal. That electrical activity can kill you. Banned from YouTube. Back to the article. With over 200 peer-reviewed manuscripts on the topic there are some emerging patterns so this is talking about what you how you see the myocarditis related to vaccines one deaths do not occur randomly across vaccine manufacturing lots but rather tend to occur in quote hot lots that may be a proxy for more viable mrna or adenoviral dna delivery 
and greater spike protein deposition in the heart. So they're saying this is not just like, you know, every, you know, every few thousand uh, vaccines or, or a million vaccines, there's like a bad one and it's just random chance. According to the manuscripts that he's reviewed here and he gives you citations, um, there seems to be these lots that have a higher concentration or a better concentration of mRNA or DNA. And in, in the case of the adenovirus, uh, Johnson & Johnson type um, delivery system. And then it generates more spike protein, which generates more spike protein in the heart, which causes more problems. Number two, genetic predisposition has been reported by Itawut et al. SCN5A mutation. Okay, so there's another thing. So this is an important thing, too. This is what I was saying before. This is what I thought before. Some people do well with these vaccines, do completely fine, but some people don't. Why is that? That's what you should be doing in science. That's what you should be doing if you're Dr. Fauci, if you're Dr. Burks. You should be looking into that. You shouldn't be saying, no, 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 you're a vaccine denier. No, 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 you're a science denier. No, 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 vaccines work. No, 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 vaccines prevent uh, vaccines prevent spread. Well, never mind. They don't prevent spread, but they prevent uh, hospitalization. Well, maybe they don't. They prevent deaths. Well, maybe they don't. Instead of doing all that backtracking and all that subterfuge and all that PR bullshit, you should be saying, Okay, if there is a problem with the vaccines, why is there? And maybe it's because of a mutation that people have. And if that's the case, maybe you can say, look, there's certain people that have this that shouldn't that have this mutation that shouldn't get this uh, vaccine. But that's not what we say. We just say everyone gets it. And it says that the mutation has been identified and almost certainly more risk alleles will be discovered. Number three, acute presentations within 30 days of the first and second injections, if detected, are usually hospitalized and undergo testing with cardiac MRA being being conclusive. If diagnosed, there is an opportunity for rest therapy and risk stratification for implementation of defibrillator. And so, so basically they're saying, look, if you have this, um, maybe you can get a defibrillator if you need it. So that gives you an opportunity. So if you present with these symptoms, you can get an opportunity to go and say, look, I have myocarditis. You get an MRNA, do some further cardiac testing. The cardiologist recommends a defibrillator. You get a defibrillator, you save your life. Now, the problem is, is that what about the subacute subclinical cases? I'm not subacute, but subclinical. He says, for most of you, most of you, for for those of you who know someone in your circles who has died unexpectedly since the advent of COVID-19 vaccination, encourage the surviving family members to reassure the world publicly if they are unvaccinated, if they were unvaccinated. Um, if family, school, and employers remain shamefully silent, assume the cause of death is attributable to the vaccine. This is a safe and reasonable inference since COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis is a proven cause of death in the peer-reviewed scientific literature. Fatal myocarditis should be a sobering for those who are encouraged and pressured. Fatal myocarditis should be sobering for those who encouraged and pressured victims into vaccination, including doctors, families, schools, employers, military, and others. They should reflect upon the actions that resulted in the loss of life and carry on in self-approach seeking forgiveness. So he basically goes on to say that these, these things should be pulled from the market, which is not going to happen. But he raises some important points here. And these are important points because if they're true, obviously there's not been adequate amount of um, informed consent given with vaccines. 
But unfortunately, like I said, a lot of this stuff will never see the light of day because you're a vaccine denier, you're a science denier. Just like a lot of the stuff with these elections will never see the light of day because if you do, then you're a uh, uh, election denier and you're to be uh, ostracized. But like, you know, Dr. McCullough has been ostracized. He's been stripped of his credentials with the uh, board certifications or threatened to if he hasn't been already for questioning things. And so that's part of the freedom of speech that is important. That's part of the freedom of speech that allows people to learn. Uh, You know, imagine if back in uh, Jim Crow days, if every time someone tried to say, no, wait a second, this is not right. Uh, a skin a skin color doesn't have anything to do with a person's uh, intelligence. Skin color doesn't have anything to do with a person's behaviors. Skin color doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, if these people should have equal rights because they are equal to us. Skin color does not make people uh, subservient to others. And then if the powers that be just said, look, you're just being a science denier. You're denying science. Science says this because science did say that, actually quote unquote science science did say that science did say that black people had smaller brain cases and therefore were more closer closely related to uh primates and therefore were subhuman and that was uh, the majority of what was the uh quote unquote scientific consensus be why be be, be uh, for discrimination based on skin color so that was the science of the day back then so what was the dr fauci's of the day to do back then who knows who knows it's not. It's probably not good, though. Anyway, thanks for joining us. This is Dr. Tommy Show. Go to drtommy.com slash podcast, and we'll uh, be able to follow us and watch us. And then if you're of the mind to uh, subscribe, do that. We appreciate it. And also share with friends and family. We appreciate that, too. So look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, bye-bye.